Welcome to Two Open Doors, the podcast that explores our power to open or close the doors of relationship with the important people in our lives. We hope you'll learn from and share your wisdom with our community. Thanks for joining us. In several recent episodes, we've taken a look at the roles of commitment in intimate relationships. We've seen that the process of commitment arises naturally in the course of deepening a relationship. Commitment involves making choices and staying true to those choices. In this episode, we'll consider how we can responsibly manage our relationships so as to reinforce the trust that our partners place in our commitments. The Planned Parenthood organization has created a very useful and widely known model of how one can manage one's commitments. That model is called FRIES, an acronym that's derived from the major attributes of well-managed commitment, which are First, F. Freely given R. Revocable I. Informed E. Enthusiastic and S. Specific We'll take a closer look at each of these attributes in turn. Commitment requires consent from a person receiving a request. Consent plays a foundational role in many aspects of a sex-positive lifestyle. In the case of commitment, consent is what provides the green light for proceeding with that commitment. Consent is itself a tricky subject, both in terms of defining it and in terms of implementing it in one's life. At its root, consent describes a decision to accept something from someone or to allow someone to do something that affects us. Consent is what safeguards our right to free choice in matters that affect us. Looking beyond the broad definition, though, we can see lots of room for variation or nuance in consent, such as in whether consent is given grudgingly or enthusiastically, whether we truly understand what it is we're consenting to, and whether or not we believe that we have the right to change our mind if what we consented to proves to be undesirable to us. Each of the letters in Fry's really underscores a particular facet of consent, and will be examined later in this episode. The freely given aspect of consent examines whether we give consent out of genuine desire for something, or under duress or pressure of some sort. As an example, if a person acquiesces to a partner's request for something that the recipient of the request actually dislikes, but if that agreement is motivated by fear of offending their partner, that acquiescence is not really freely given. Over time, repeatedly agreeing to emotionally coerced requests can build strong resentment and perhaps even self-loathing in the person who consents. That is damaging to a relationship. As the saying goes, nothing is forever, and that should apply to our agreements as well. When we give consent for something, that consent is based on our imagining what the results and consequences for that consent will be. We humans can be remarkably short-sighted and unsophisticated in understanding the consequences of our choices and actions. Because of our resulting mispredictions, we might experience some unwelcome or even damaging consequences to our choices or actions. If we take whatever we consent to as ironclad and irrevocable, we can find ourselves locked into situations that are not healthy for us. To avoid that sort of trapped situation, we need to treat our consent as revocable and subject to revision. That enables us to give consent in good conscience and with conviction, but also with the understanding that we retain the freedom to change our minds should our consent cause us unanticipated pain or concern. Treating consent in this way requires that our partner understand that they can rely on the solidity of our commitments, but stopping short of continuing to do something that hurts us. 
Such an understanding enables partners to trust one another while also taking proper care of themselves. Partners who love one another would not want to insist on continuing to do something that is hurtful or damaging to one or both partners. As noted in the preceding considerations about the revocable nature of proper consent, we humans can't always foresee the consequences of our choices. The best we can do is think about, and if need be investigate, the probable results of our choices. That process of gathering information and projecting consequences constitutes informing ourselves about the alternatives we're considering. When someone asks a partner for their consent to do something, there are mutual responsibilities in that process. The requester needs to be honest, open, and clear in expressing the request. The recipient of the request needs to insist on getting sufficient clear information to enable them to make an informed choice. Those mutual responsibilities embody a spirit of caring and collaborative interaction, which should give both partners a clear sense that they're both working together toward shared goals that won't knowingly disadvantage or hurt either partner. Of course, sometimes things happen in life that no one can predict. That applies to the instance in which someone makes a request of their partner. It may turn out that the request was ill-advised and had unintended negative consequences. However, that realization may only come after the fact. If that happens, it's important that the negatively affected partners make positive assumptions about what the requester intended. Without that goodwill, understanding, and acceptance, resentment can build between the partners and trust can be eroded. That's damaging to the relationship. The spirit in which consent is given is important. Grudgingly acceding to a request can lead to feelings of resentment or to a sense of not being treated fairly. Even worse, saying yes when one is really feeling no is misleading to a partner and can also lead to deep but ill-placed resentment. It's really not fair to blame a partner for something unwelcome that is caused by one's own decision. We may tell ourselves that we made a choice in order to please or not offend our partner, but in doing so we both betray our true feelings and we mislead or confuse our partner. It's commonplace for people to see taking one for the team as a virtuous act. As an example, in the swinging world, participants will sometimes agree to have sexual exchanges with someone who doesn't attract or appeal to them in order for their partner to be able to enjoy time with someone from the other couple. From one perspective, that can be perceived as an act of selfless giving to one's partner. However, compromising oneself for another person's sake is a betrayal of self, and that is never a good idea. In the case of this example, such a choice can ultimately drive a wedge between the partners in a couple, and it can lead the acquiescing partner to feel devalued, even though the resulting psychic wound was self-inflicted. The final major attribute of proper consent is that it needs to be specific. None of us wants to sign a blank check, not knowing what that might lead to. Similarly, in navigating a relationship, we want to be clear about what our options are and what the outcome of each option is likely to be. Again, there's no guarantee that unintended consequences can occur, but it's the best that we can do as short-sighted humans. Understanding the specifics of a request requires that both of the partners in a relationship have and apply well-developed communication skills. There must be room for questions to be asked and for clear answers to be given. Honesty, directness, and clarity of language all play an important role in conveying the specifics of a request. It's also important to both make and respond to requests in a kind, caring, and emotionally positive way. Otherwise, the resulting emotional reactions can lead to less than genuine answers. To ensure the specificity of a request for consent, 
one needs to consider the conditions that apply to that request. For example, in asking a partner to consent to one's spending time with someone else, it's important to specify whether that is a request for a one-time occurrence or for ongoing meetings. It might also be important to specify where that meeting would occur, such as in one's home versus in a public location. The better both partners understand what is being asked, the more informed the respondent's consent will be. The Fry's approach to consent is a good compass to steer by in helping both members of a couple to make and keep healthy commitments. To learn more about Two Open Doors and to engage with our community, I'd like to invite you to visit the Two Open Doors private Facebook group for posts and discussion and the Two Open Doors meetup group for events. I also invite you to contact me directly by writing to me at claude, C-L-A-U-D-E, at twoopendoors.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I'll use your inputs to guide my work on future blog posts and podcast episodes. Thanks for visiting Two Open Doors. <laughs>